I'm here with uh, Father Donald Calloway, and you've come out with a book that's selling like hotcakes. <laughs> it's about uh, consecration to St. Joseph, and you you preached the Mass this morning here at UWTN, and you got my attention when you, you talked mm. about the buildup mm. uh, to the time we're in now and how growth and devotion and acknowledgement of St. Joseph. And uh, so I was wondering if we could talk about that today on the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you wanted to refer to your list. Yeah, but. <laughs> absolutely. Let me put my reading glasses on here, Father, because uh, I'm 47 years old now. I need these things. <laughs> right. And yeah. I got a book here, too. Yeah. Let's, let's open it up there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I was doing my research, I, um, you know, I, I've heard from various people that I knew. Um, one of my professors in seminary was a Josephologist. Hmm. You know, he was really knowledgeable of St. Joseph. And he said that uh, since 1870, there's been an extraordinary movement of emphasis on St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, well, that's interesting. I said, I, I wonder how. And so I did some research and, and I've got the list here in the book. I won't read all of them, of course. It's, mm -hmm. it's too much to read. People can get the book. But, you know, in 1870 was the year that uh, Blessed Pius IX declared St. Joseph the patron of the Universal Church. Mm -hmm. But it was only uh, nine years mm -hmm. after that that St. Joseph uh, appeared at, in Knock, Ireland with Our Lady and St. John mm -hmm. the Apostle, and there was a lamb representing our Lord. And that's an approved apparition. And then after that, you've got some incredible things that start taking place. Uh, popes are, are, are writing encyclicals on St. Joseph, Pope Leo XIII. You've got... Um, Do you know, uh, are you real familiar with that offhand? Like, oh, yeah, it's great. What are some of the things he says in there? So oh. this is 1889, Leo XIII. Yes. First encyclical on Joseph. That's right. The yeah. first one. It's amazing that yeah. it took that long for a pope to write an encyclical right. on St. Joseph. Right. But he talks about the great issue in the time of St. or Pope Leo XIII was the, the social crises in the world. Um, and uh, he was always promoting the rosary. You know, he wrote 11 encyclicals on the rosary, talking about how it would help heal the, the ailments of society by praying the rosary. But then he started to transition into talking about St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. And he said, we need this loving father to protect us. And mm -hmm. he actually wrote a beautiful prayer to be recited at the end of the rosary in October. And I don't have the prayer memorized. Maybe mm -hmm. someday I will. It is one of the most beautiful prayers ever composed mm -hmm. to St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. um, I encourage the people to, to look that up and, and, and check it out. So that was his emphasis was asking St. Joseph to help restore um, the uh, family because even then in 1889, it was already falling apart, families. Mm. So, I mean, imagine now. Right. You know, you know? I guess you think, too, the Industrial Revolution. That's right. That's I mean, right. The working conditions, difficulties there. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and there were many, you know, things that happened post-French Revolution that really got people to stop going to church. They, mm. they just turned purely and only to science. Um, and, and they stopped, you know, believing in many of the teachings of the church. And mm -hmm. so he, he said, we really need to return to the basics. So the rosary, you know, Catholicism mm -hmm. 101, but Christianity 101, and then to that example of St. Joseph. Right, right. Know, which is really the first time really ever that a pope really did that. Yeah. So pretty extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So then after him, Father, you've got uh, the advent of some great devotees of St. Joseph, Blessed Petra of St. Joseph, which m many people don't know about outside of Spain, um, even before the great St. Andre Bisset, who many of us do know about, you know, from Canada, Montreal, built the uh, Oratory of St. Joseph. Before him was this woman, Blessed Petra of St. Joseph, who established a shrine to St. Joseph in Spain. And when she was beatified in 1994, 
St. John Paul II called her the apostle of St. Joseph of the 19th century. Wow. And yet almost nobody's heard about, right. of her. I was thinking of like Teresa of Avila, right? Had a great devotion. Right, right. Well, she did, yeah. but that was 16th century, I right. think it was. So, right. yeah, but she's, she's another great one, though. Mm. You're right. Mm. She was extraordinary. And then you've got the Litany of St. Joseph was only fully approved in 1909 by St. Pope Pius X. Um, and that litany is powerful. Some of the titles for St. Joseph, like Terror of Demons, mm. you know, um, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty extraordinary title, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then you've got um, his appearance at Fatima. A lot of people seem to forget that at the last apparition on October 13th, when the sun spun and when Our Lady identified herself as the Lady of the Rosary, St. Joseph appeared holding mm -hmm. the Christ child and simultaneously father and son, St. Joseph and Jesus, bless the world. Mm. That's extraordinary. That is. How do we understand that? We usually think of priests like blessing. Right. And uh, right. what do you think the meaning of that? I think it's his paternal blessing because mm -hmm. um, as patron of the universal church, he's the spiritual father of the church. Mm -hmm. So just like in many cultures, uh, uh, the father does bless the children. Mm -hmm. Not in the same way a priest does, of course, right. but nonetheless, uh, a, a paternal blessing. I yeah. think that's what it's indicative mm -hmm. of. Yeah. And then after that, you've got uh, Benedict XV inserting... Uh, into the divine praises, which we pray, you know, at adoration. Blessed be Saint Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Mm -hmm. And then um, you've got, uh, skipping ahead a little bit, 1955, Venerable Pope Pius XII establishing the feast of Saint Joseph the Worker, and that was done to overcome the threat of communism, mm -hmm. because the the communists had kind of hijacked what was called May Day. It was just right. for workers. It was a secular day. It didn't have any religious affiliation. But the communists were trying to take advantage of that and tell yeah. people, well, work is how we understand it, and we want you to be on our side. Right. And the Pope said, we've got a major threat here. We need to yeah. emphasize St. Joseph as the worker, right. and so he established that feast. Um, and then, of course, you've got um, St. Pope John XXIII at the beginning uh, of the 1960s putting St. Joseph's name in the Roman canon. So mm -hmm. at that time, you know, the only canon mm -hmm. that we had um, for the Eucharistic prayer which is extraordinary, Father, to think mm -hmm. about, that all this time we never had St. Joseph's name in the Mass. Right. I mean, that's pretty uh, shocking, right. you know, to right. think about. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this guy is the foster father of Jesus and the, yeah. and the husband of Mary, and we didn't even mention him in Mass. So, yeah. And now, of course, we have him in all the Eucharistic prayers, mm -hmm. uh, thanks to Pope Benedict, and then Pope Francis followed up on that and, and actually did it. Uh, another important document written by St. John Paul II, Redemptoris Custos, an apostolic letter uh, on him. And uh, now, you know, I don't have this in the book, but uh, we have bishops starting to proclaim years of St. Joseph in their diocese. Mm -hmm. uh, the bishop here in Birmingham did it last year. Right. This year, right. the Charlotte Diocese has done it. Right. And there's another bishop about to do it. I, I can't reveal it yet. I, yeah. I can't yeah. preempt the bishop on that, but he's about to yeah. announce it, another one. So. Yeah, and I, when I, I heard you mention that too. And I was shocked, and, and you mentioned that in the homily, and I, I, I was shocked the Universal Church hasn't done it. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, we've we've gotten we've done so much, thankfully, on Mary, mm -hmm. and you know, John Paul II, and you know, so much teaching on Mary, and very much needed. You know, we have this cultural feminist revolution, yeah. and in the, I mean, it just seems like our culture is in anguish trying to understand women and role women. Right. 
and maybe and men are like suffering a lot you know just wounded by the culture tremendously yeah. right so maybe this and that's one thing i wanted to talk to you about like how can saint joseph help men out there to live their vocation as mm -hmm. well yeah well he you know we call him the model of workers we call him the pillar of families the glory of domestic life these are some of his titles right from his litany so mm -hmm. when you look to him you can see a man who um had some very challenging circumstances come his way mm. you know um when he finds that our lady is pregnant it's that's perplexing to him as it should yeah. be you know how, how did this come about what's going on here and and yet his response is just his oh. response is one of patience um not one of condemnation it's not one of uh you know a reaction that um shows that he's using his power as a man or an authority in an abusive way Right. to beat people down yeah. um, but he actually you know waits for god's further guidance and ends up being the great protector of this mystery right and i think that for men today and i was talking to father mitch tonight and he said that um something like 52 percent of all uh children now are raised without a father that's more than half mm -hmm. of all the children uh i mean that's going to have effects yeah. You know, and, and, and the effects of that are, you know, men are confused about what it means to be a man because they haven't been given an example. So we have today, like you said, with, with the advent of radical feminism and all this craziness. Mm -hmm. So we look to Mary as the model to, to remedy that. Well, today when we have this anthropological crisis in both sexes, but mm -hmm. men right now in a special way, because the world is saying, don't be toxic. Don't be too masculine. Don't call yourself the head of a family. You know, don't you're. you're step aside we don't need you even right right we need to look to the model of manhood in our lord primarily of course mm -hmm. but then in saint joseph as our spiritual father to remedy this situation and you know something a remedy too that strikes me is to me like being preaching on these the passages of saint joseph and i always wish i wish there was more there i wish yeah. he said something you know? <laughs> but in some ways you know maybe that is if you think about it kind of encouraging to men that one, you know, that he was a fearful, I like the uh, oh, the theory that, you know, he withdrew because he felt himself unworthy yes. to interfere with the I mystery. love that. What mm -hmm. do they call that theory? The though? reverence theory. Reverence theory, mm -hmm. yeah. So he, you know, he wouldn't suspect Mary of adultery. He knew right. there's some mysterious work of God going on here. And, mm -hmm. and of course, and I, I, when I preach on it, I always say, of course, you have a sense of a person their holiness, their purity, and say, that's not possible. Right. I mean, we say that all the time sure. about people, you know, certain yeah. things. Yeah. So yeah. I have no trouble with that. And yeah. and what guy who gets married, has a kid, doesn't feel overwhelmed? That's right. That's you know? right. And you can look to St. Joseph. Well, he had a much bigger challenge here. <laughs> you know, the Son of God on the yeah. way, you yeah. know. Yeah, yeah. And then with tremendous threats. That's right. That's you right. You know, so, and, then, and that he doesn't, you know, I, it just kind of hit me now, this too, that he's not saying a lot. Because I know guys, you know, oftentimes might feel overwhelmed, like, I don't know what to say mm. in this situation. Mm. I've got to guide this thing. I'm not sure what to say. Well, St. Joseph didn't say anything recorded in Scripture That's here. Right. That's right. And yet he's guiding, protecting, serving without a big speech. That's right. You know, yeah. without the big... Uh, we're good with words, you know, but yeah. he likes it, man of action. But. And that shows his greatness, doesn't it? Yeah. Because, you know, most of us want to be kind of recognized. We get trophies, you know? Mm he wasn't offered a trophy you know he wasn't yeah, offered a merit badge yeah. he you know he did it in silence and was more than happy to kind of 
I mean, take the, the, the lesser place. Right. I mean, you know, when you think about it, um, he was called to have the Son of God and the Immaculata be under his authority mm -hmm. and bend their wills to his as mm -hmm. the head of the Holy Family and have them be obedient to him. He knew his unworthiness, and yet he still was faithful to his mission, right. and he led that family. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's tremendous. I mean, what's more stressful? You're not able to find proper housing. Yeah. Then you're a refugee in Egypt, a flight in Egypt. I mean, that's the most, you know, guys, I mean, you know, fathers feel this tension all the time about providing for the family and yeah. you know, maintaining work, finding work, making yep. enough money. And he's like this extreme example <laughs> of like yeah. persevering no in this responsibility. Yeah. I know. It's, it's remarkable to think <laughs> yeah. about it. And yeah. I tell people that, you know, uh, the greatest saint after Our Lady was not a pope, was not a bishop or a priest. He was a layman. Mm -hmm. And that's Saint Joseph. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to say that to people, especially men, because a lot of men think, well, unless I'm Maximian Colby, I'm not really going to be holy. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. The greatest male saint was a layman. Right. And most men are, are called to marriage. Do you know the example that you, the privilege that you have and the model and example of St. Joseph? It's extraordinary. You know? right. And it applies to us too as priests, of course. We look right. to him. But um, he, I mean, he's so great. And, and, and yet, he's so simple. He's so everyday. Right. Just a, a worker. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I remember I was on this Steve Ray, one of these Steve Ray pilgrimages to the Holy Land, mm. and he was giving us his talk at Nazareth, and uh, it was right outside the great basilica there, the Annunciation. And he was talking about, you know, some scholars believe at the time there was like this Roman construction project about nine, ten miles away that was likely that Jesus and Joseph probably went there for mm. work, and it wasn't. It wasn't like, fin I always imagined Joseph like a 1950s prayer card finishing carpentry work, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this was like a Roman construction project. Yeah. And he said technically the word technon means like one who works with hard materials. So it's mm. a big, broad range of labor. And mm -hmm. So, and I, I remember it just, I and mean, when he said that, it just kind of hit me like Nazareth at the time was like 50 families maybe. Mm. And just the humility of God and that you know incarnate in this this little outpost village you know yeah. and do labor work yeah and not an easy thing you know? it's incredible and yeah. another thing that i tell people about that kind of shows his great his hidden greatness is that you know when when the second person of the blessed trinity took on human nature he wanted to share certain facial features with one particular creature and that would be mary so just like if you look at me and my mother, you would say, wow, you look just like your mother. And mm -hmm. my cheekbones, my eye sockets would look very similar. And I love that. My mom's a beautiful woman. Our Lord wanted to share certain qualities with his mother because they're biologically linked, right? Well, St. Joseph is not the biological father of Jesus. But when, when the God-man wants to share the mannerisms, the mm -hmm. accent, the, the, the local customs, of a particular individual, that's Joseph. Hmm. So he would have probably talked like Joseph, had the accent of Joseph, worked like Joseph. I mean, it's incredible. When God wants to imitate a man, he imitates Joseph. Hmm. That is so extraordinary. Right, right. That's incredible. Right. I mean, <laughs> wow. I mean, that's yeah. a meditation, you know? Yeah. And we, 
I've got a good friend. He's like 70 years old. He's a he's he's a convert to Catholicism, mm. and he I always joke with him that he's a Southern gentleman. He grew up in this tiny town in Alabama, mm. and um, and his mother's like 95, and I was around her, and she she said, "Yeah, I call him the same thing," <laughs> and he just immediately says, "It was my dad and my grandfather, uncles, mm. that taught me." you know, politeness and how we're to behave. Like father, like son. Yeah, that's who you, that's the man, that's who you look towards. That's right. So that's why we say Joseph is the greatest male saint because Mm. of his proximity, his role that he had to be. That's right. That that closeness to, to, you know, what theologians uh, would call the hypostatic union, right? The, The taking on of flesh, the divine person, you know, becomes man. And Our Lady has that because she was materially cooperating in that, mm-hmm. you know, giving the flesh to, to the second person of the Trinity. St. Joseph was not needed for that. However, he was needed for the upbringing, for that leadership, for that right. example of manhood. Because there's only so much that a boy can learn from his mother, yeah. right? And that actually applies to, to Jesus in the sense of how he grew in his human nature and growth and development like he would have needed to do. Not in a divine person, of course, but in his human nature. He would have needed to look to the model of St. Joseph. And that's extraordinary to think about because Mary can do so much for him, but he's going to need that fatherly role to, mm. to be able to imitate. And uh, that's where, for me, boy, if we could only, if we could go back and see what it looked like in Nazareth for 30 years. Yeah. 30 years. Right. I mean, what intimacy, what familiarity. I mean, Joseph would have known what his sneeze sounded like, what his walk sounded like in the house. He would have known if he was up, his favorite drink. You know, those kind of things. uh, The intimacy there is incredible. Yeah, I was, that's what kind of shook me when I was there. Like, when you make the drive from Jerusalem up to Nazareth, you know, like 90 miles or something. It's like, you know, if I was going to be the Messiah, I'd be down in Jerusalem <laughs> and I would be paraded around on a gestatory or whatever. You know, it's like, oh, yeah. but he's got this hidden life, 30 years. Yeah. And and I just want to reiterate that for men, you know, especially that, um, you know, that just that by example, the formation by example. And I, I you know, I, I totally see that like in my own life. It's like. Mm. You just pick up so much just by being around other men, father figures in your life. And yeah, there's wisdom imparted or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's more by just what you see and you kind of soak it up, you know, mm-hmm. by see their example. So yep. what, You're right. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I think that that's how a lot of it is, is taught, you know, uh, when you look to them and you end up imitating them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what all boys do with their father. Yeah. They put on their father's uniform. Right. You know, and it doesn't fit, of course, and the shoes are way too big yeah. and whatnot. But yeah. boys naturally want to be like their dad. Right. And right. I think that uh, that's more done by um, action than words yeah. necessarily. Right. So I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. I, I think guys get intimidated because like we're in such a media drenched world and flashy and everybody's got mm. the clever lines, all stuff. But, you know, Joseph's described as the just man, the one who... Mm does gives the right due you know mm. as a man of justice mm. and uh, john paul said it i think in his document on joseph that it you can sense like this great spiritual depth in his silence mm-hmm. he's not 
a loud mouth, you know. It's like, you know, like some of like the apostles, they're, they're always talking a lot, making claims, whatever, That's right. arguing. You don't That's see right. Joseph doing that. You yeah, know? you're right. Yeah, you're he's right. like quietly afraid to mess this up or interfere. <laughs> which is maybe in I love it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. That's again shows his greatness. Yeah, he's so humble that um, he just goes about doing his daily tasks, and um, that's extraordinary in a world that does want recognition constantly. Right. You know, and uh, yeah. I even find that in my own life. I mean, you know, there's sometimes when, you know, I write a book or I do something and I'm like, I want people to, to recognize that I've done this. And yeah. St. Joseph, uh, he was completely content right. with living that profound interior life. Yeah. And in many ways, uh, I think John, St. John Paul II does talk about him as the, like the model of the interior Patron, life. Patron, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's yeah. saying something about his greatness. Right. Yeah. Contemplation and action, you know, just... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think about just to make those decisions, you know, to go into Egypt or to it's time to bring the child back, you know, and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's engaging life, you know, and, mm -hmm. and leadership. And there's a lot of talk about leadership today. And I think he needs to be presented as a model and certainly a corrective or mm -hmm. a misunderstanding. Of that. Mm -hmm. Have you seen uh, like a fruitfulness in men's ministry or men taking... I mean, I know tonight at the show, there's a lot of women came out to yeah, the show. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping men will yeah. really take this. Well, what they told me, though, this was, you'll be happy to know this, and you're aware of this because mm -hmm. you're here in the area, of course, but um, many of the women that were here, they said the reason that a lot of men weren't, because there was a fraternos meeting right, tonight. Right, yeah. So they said that they're there, and they're actually going to be doing the consecration mm -hmm. to St. Joseph. So, you know, it's funny. Um I would say probably half of all the invitations that I get now to speak at conferences are men's conferences. Are they? Yeah. There's a real thirst among men to be told what it is um, from a, a person of authority. And so they look to a priest, of course, right. you know, as mm. father, teach us, help us, because the world is telling us one thing. Yeah. And that just doesn't seem right to us. And we, you know, we're going down a wrong path there with those ideas. What does it mean to be a man, Father? Who do we look to? How do we get back to these fundamentals uh, to correct the wrongs and be protectors, providers, and defenders of, of, of our families? And so I love speaking at men's conferences because you can get to nitty-gritty issues that mm -hmm. would be inappropriate to, to preach in a homily mm -hmm. with women and children right, present, right. You know, especially right. when you're dealing with like pornography and mm -hmm. sins of lust and things mm -hmm. like that. But at these men's conferences, you can get down to these serious issues and say, guys, we need to man up. Mm -hmm. We need to really, really look at our hearts and see, are we abusing the feminine mystery? Are we taking advantage of what's been entrusted to us? Or are we willing to make this sacrifice for the greater good? This is yeah. manhood, you know? Right. And the guys, oh, they love this message. I mean, they're cheering, they're thundering yeah. it, you know, at the end of these things. Yeah. Let me just ask you about that, the, like being a protector of the feminine mystery. Talk a little bit more about that. Oh, it's such a, well, some of his titles, you know, like Guardian of the Virgin or even Guardian of Virgins, one of them mm -hmm. in there. And, you know, many saints have talked about all men are going to be entrusted with a beauty to defend, protect, honor, and, and serve and, and give themselves for. For us as priests, of course, that's the church and the souls that are entrusted to us. This is normal. This is natural. Even the God-man talked about his messianic mission as one of a marriage feast. The Father has given a beauty to him, and he's come to lay down his life for that beauty, to, to sacrifice everything for that beauty. That's innate within us as men. And you don't have to be a, a, a Catholic 
to, 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 be, to believe this or understand this. Even people who, you know, I mean, go into the secular world and listen to what all men are singing about in songs. It's usually about some form of beauty. Sadly, today they're talking about abusing that beauty. But you listen to certain songs, you know, uh, written by women. They expect men to defend, defend them. You know, there better be a man in here to take a bullet for me, the lyrics will say. Um, video games even. You know, when I was a kid, and I'm dating myself now, but when I was a kid, you know, at the end, uh, 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 to win the, the prize, which was always beauty, to ransom the princess, to recapture the, the, the captive beauty, right. you had to slay a dragon. Yeah. Mario yeah. Brothers, Donkey right. Kong, and all the rest of them. You know, right. I'm dating myself by saying these things. <laughs> and, you know, I, don't, I don't know modern video games, but I'm sure it works on the same principle. There's something there in us yeah. that we know that we've been made to do this. Yeah. You know, I think we've got to recapture that for all men and even among us priests. Right. That the church is not at our disposal to abuse her. Mm-hmm. We are her protector. We are to defend her, to provide for her, to love her, and to die for her. Right. We need to recapture that. Right. You know, I recently saw this um, thing on Twitter that... Uh, like these kind of feminist women were uh, mocking virginity, mm. you know, and uh, and they were, you know, just couching it as this is men trying to control women and mm. you know, all this stuff. And I thought it was, it just struck me, I was kind of sad and angry, but it was like, mm. um, it's almost like they, I don't know. I, I think they, yeah. deep down, they have a sense of it. Mm-hmm. You know, the greatness mm-hmm. of giving yourself to another person. That's right. significant. Right. You know, and, yeah. and that, but I, I think too, it's like men have a call today to, to lead mm-hmm. and to awaken that even in women. Yes. You know, to say, you know, and I think in honoring women and like in the arts and things, like you think like painting sculptures, I mean, how many beautiful things about Our Lady and right, stuff. Right. So men have, you know, they, they have a sensitivity to the reverence yep. of, they have to, to women and to beauty and even to rem- maybe remind women themselves, you know, in our, because in a way it's like men, I think still, you know, we live in a masculine culture. Mm-hmm. You know, women have a lot more power today, mm-hmm. but it seems like it's still all a bunch of masculine categories. Right. You right. know, and That's it's right. like it's sexuality. It's it's uh, yeah. promiscuous culture. You know, it's yeah. objectifying people, using people, power struggles, and right. Um, right. So it's like men need to, you know, to bring in these Christian values yes. of, of reverence and things. And um, yeah. and if we don't do it. It's not there. That's right. That's right. It, no, you've said it yeah. so well because it's the strangest thing that the, the, the feminist movement in many instances is a turning against masculinity. And yet the very thing that they say that they disdain and despise, they end up becoming. Right. So that women right. today oftentimes are practically men. Right. But right. wasn't that the thing that you said you hated? <laughs> it's right. the honest thing. Right, right. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's why we live in this androgynous culture today where women oftentimes think that they're going to find their dignity and meaning in life by looking like, working like, talking like, acting like men. Right. And you can't tell the difference sometimes. You walk down the yeah. street now, you're like, I-, I honestly don't know if that's a man or a woman. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, right. it's so confusing. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's just finish up with the value of the consecration. Uh, your book is about consecration of St. Joseph. How would you describe 
why it's important, this consecration? Well, you know, I, I think that um, in light of our times with the confusion about marriage, uh, with so much, uh, you know, up for grabs today, people trying to redefine marriage and talk about modern families and all of this. I think that the time now is to continue with the Marian consecrations. By no means does this trump that or is it greater than that? It's not. Uh, but it's meant to supplement that and kind of bring things full circle and to focus really on the family and mm -hmm. the importance of that. And I think that that's why right now, I think the Holy Spirit is really pushing us to emphasize St. Joseph to recapture that element because mm. we've been lacking it. Um, and Father Mitch said something interesting. He said that in the past, oftentimes, we would actually get a major emphasis on Mary or a new dogma on Our Lady, like the Immaculate Exception or Assumption, because of a certain crisis in society where people were talking about um, we don't need to worry about sin or certain uh, aspects of, of, of human nature. So the church in, at a critical time elevates the Immaculate Conception, right? It took a long time to 1854, right? right a long right. time. Yeah. It's relatively recent church history or the Assumption in 1950, you know? Yeah. So right now, with all the craziness and misunderstandings we have with gender ideology, with an emasculated culture in the sense of men don't feel they can really be men because they're called toxic if you you know express mm -hmm. it now's the time to elevate saint joseph and mm -hmm. i think this consecration can help do that and restore a proper understanding of what it means to be a man so that men get it and that women learn to to not be afraid right. uh, in the sense of if more men start acting like saint joseph mm -hmm. then women can realize that it's okay to allow them to lead. Right, right. Because we've been lacking in that. Right, um, right. That's what, Those are some of the fruits I'm hoping from the consecration. Right. Yeah. And I, I've seen that, you know, being, you know, Evangelicals are founders and being around the sisters so much and cloistered nuns, you know, have a great devotion to St. Joseph. Mm. And I, I feel like they've kind of formed me personally in that I, and I've, my devotions kind of waxed and waned over the years, mm -hmm. but you know, I got my prayer cards and stuff, and I made mm -hmm. my, the I did the cloak of Saint Joseph nice. a couple uh -huh. times and stuff. So yeah, I'm going to do this consecration, mm -hmm. and um, and I it just really resonates true to me because I think the problems with men in the culture today, it does seem like you know this would be a great healing balm for that mm -hmm. and to help help men. So yes. Thanks so much for writing it and being on the show. Thank Thanks, you. Father. Keep up the good work, Padre. Yeah.